So good afternoon, evening, uh, everyone, and welcome. This is Twist Gaming, where you get to play board games with us. Uh, this is the Great Game Hunters podcast, where we go through the ins and outs of all the strategies for Kingdom Death Monster, as well as some of the background lore. Uh, but first off, who are we? I'm Matt, and I am joined here with my two fantastic co-hosts. Give it up, gentlemen. I'm Josh. I'm Fen. Hello. Hi, Fan. Hello. How are you? You know, I can complain, but I don't think anyone would listen. So Sorry, I wasn't listening. What did you say? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay. All right, so you guys went to Gen Con, didn't you? And yeah, we went to this... Giddy. We, we went to this small little con uh, in Indianapolis where they had a few board games. Uh, Josh, do you want to tell people what it was? Um, I think it only had like two hundred thousand something new uh, turnstiles or something. You know, it's just the biggest con that North America's ever had for board games, something like that, right? It's a little con, right? Yeah, to- totally not a big deal. But uh, we did have a chance to catch up with uh, uh, the Kingdom Death crew. Uh, we hung out with Zach Barrett and Zach Clark. They're two of the game devs. Uh, we got a little bit of information from them and was able to play a demo with uh, Zach Barish. And more importantly, Josh got a, a lovely interview with Adam and was able to squirrel some details uh, about Kingdom Death and the 1.5 updates out of him, as well as future stuff. Does the Watcher still suck? That's what everyone wants to know. <laughs> Is there an answer? Josh? Uh, no answer that we know of yet. So, I don't know what they did. Yeah, there was no definite answer on tweaks to the Watcher, but again, the Watcher is not going to be the end-all baddie anymore, so that's definitely going to make up for the fact that he was a little bit lacking in the big, scary monster department. The little jellyfish. Oh, I've got one in my hands right now. I'm painting my Watcher. Literally, that's why he came up. Uh, I'll put him down. Okay, right. So we have a number of different uh, wiggly doodads, things and whatnot to talk about, don't we, that have been spoiled and released. So so I believe we're going to go through the set of pictures that Josh put down in our little private chat here so we can discuss them with you fine folks in the listening audience. Uh, am I wrong in that assertion, guys? <sighs> we're not supposed to talk about the private chat. Oh, I thought we were. No. Oh, boy. Oh, the I, first thing I, about private chat is you don't talk about private chat. The second thing about private chat is rule three. I didn't read the rule book, I guess. Okay, well, no change from usual. It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, so Josh was able to snag some pictures from all around the booth in KDM uh, land, if you will. And a bunch of stuff there was... Uh, Spoilery, a little bit of an insight into 1.5 that they didn't necessarily publish at the time. So it, you had to have your eyes and ears and camera lenses open to get a view of that. So we're going to talk about some of the interesting stuff that we saw. The first of which being the Scholar of Death fighting art, secret fighting art that we have here. And uh, does someone, Fen, do you have the text there? Do you want to read that out loud? Uh, for which one? Scholar. Uh, Scholar of Death, correct. Uh, okay. Um... Right, well, this is a secret fighting art. Um, on arrival, you gain reroll tokens equal to the number of volumes recorded about your quarry. Uh, for example, if your settlement has White Lion volumes 1, 2, and 3, 
personally, Volume 2 is where the greatest hits are. When you fight a white lion, you would gain three reroll tokens, I guess, because you have three volumes. You could discard a reroll token to reroll one of your roll results during the showdown. This includes monster roll results, but only when you are the monster controller. So, obviously, that's a secret fighting art, so there's going to be some unusual way of getting this and some way of recording these volumes and collecting them. Maybe each time you kill a monster, it drops a CD? I prefer to think of it as an LP. They're more of a vinyl creatures, the monsters. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, you've got to figure the hand has a mixtape. <laughs> yeah, that is true. You got me there. Uh, so, I this is actually a pretty interesting one. It seems to go decently with the... Uh, uh, thematical side of things where uh, the more you fight a monster, the more you're learning about them and the more you're able to deal with them. So it kind of gives you a little bit more insight fighting them, allowing you to not suck as much, apparently. Hmm. Well, I guess, is this some indicator of something happening with Survival of the Fittest? Because this is like a weaker version of the Survival of the Fittest we saw spoiled on the um, Kickstarter. Like, so this is on top of Survival so, of because they had Survival of Fittest at the con. It's still the same text they showed off. So still, It's still the same. Okay, right, fine. So this is like more re-rolls to gain, but just for showdown usage. But you get them each showdown. Did they explain the volumes? Is it each, when you kill a, a white line level one, you get volume one? Nope. Oh, they, they only showed off the card. That's all, that's all the information we have. So uh, they did show okay. off the re-roll tokens. So those were those what those tokens were. Everyone thought it was like, the count rerolls on survivors, which doesn't make sense. They added that to the, to the survivor sheet. Um, so th- yeah. there is relo- uh, reroll tokens now for this. I'm thinking, Fen, do you think this could possibly do with the Twilight Night? Because I know they like to keep records. It's a good point. Um, yeah, I mean, that makes sense, if anything. Um, they are the ones who are most involved in record keeping of information and things like that. Uh, although. If I remember correctly, the Twilight Knight will smash up your records if he encounters them sometimes. So, mm, who knows? It's uh, it, Maybe it's linked to a new version of records, because records was kind of meh. You know, it was used for some cheesy watcher manipulation. Um, and that was kind of it, really. I mean, possibly that is what it links to, is maybe... Um, you know, maybe records is now a bit different and you get to record some things somewhere. That would make it work for the uh, game and also for the expansions that don't have the watcher. Yes, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So um yeah, who knows? I I, I this one like is really tough to say much about for me because until I know the whole of the details of the mechanic and how you get it, especially as a secret fighting arts, because that means you specifically have to get this in some way. I dunno. But it's interesting, and it's a particularly disturbing piece of art. So, hey, um, should we add you guys have anything more to say, or should we move on to the card that's quite clearly been uh, nerfed heavily because of the way the community was using it during 1.5? Yeah, we get, we go on to sculpture next, how it's been uh, nerfed <laughs> too. It's still good. It's just not what it's it was. It's still really good. Yeah. Yeah. So... So the new sculptor, uh, I'm Who's... not going to read the whole text, but basically, yep. uh, if you knew what before, before you can uh, sacrifice one of your fighting arts to make a statue of it, uh, then you rest for a year, then everyone can gain that fighting art. What they did now was, you put a fighting art on it, you can't change it, 
the old card let you change it. Mm-hmm. Um, and the yep. other thing is when you go to get that fighting art, you now have to roll a, D, a D10 and on a 6 plus you get it. So you have the 50% chance of doing it. Otherwise, you just waste an endeavor. So it's yep. not as easy to copy, but it's still pretty easy. Yeah. So a couple of things to note. First of all, you can um, you can still rip this down under certain circumstances to rebuild it. Obviously, I think um, Armored Strangers, but that's be rare. But the Gorm will allow you to demolish innovations when Acid Rain hits. So you're not entirely unable to make a new one. Um, you can. The person who loses the fighting art now can get it back by the looks of this. They're not stopped from doing that, according to that wording. Obviously, six plus, so only a uh, what is that like a fifty percent chance of gaining the fighting art back. But this still means you can have a um, like when you get otherworldly luck, you can have a settlement full of people who have otherworldly luck or tough, or you know one of the other ones. It's going to be really good as well for people of the stars because you can slam one of the fighting arts that's you want the dragon um, trait fighting arts on there. Probably unbreakable because that's the best one of the lot. Uh, yeah, so it's still really good, this. And I'm glad they did fix it because it was a bit stupid before. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm happy with this. This is much better than the original sculpture. Uh, what about you guys? Uh, I agree. I'm, no, yeah, I absolutely agree. The original sculpture, well, not original, the first 1.5 update sculpture uh, definitely was awesome, but needed to be nerfed, so... I think this is okay in what it does. It's still pretty good. Hmm. Yeah, it is. So anything else you want to say about sculpture? Or are we going to move on to the next little snippet that we have here? Uh, I don't have too much more to say about this. Like, This is one that I'm going to have to play with a while to work out what's most optimal, but the obvious stuff I've just kind of spouted off already. Um, it's... It definitely makes the paint tree a lot more desirable than it used to be. Um, so yeah, I think I'd like to very much move on to the thing I've been most excited about seeing, which is the next one. So I'm going to take this. Um, it is the Bone Club, which is a melee weapon, two-handed, heavy club, bone, the keywords. It is two speed, six plus accuracy, five strength. It has a red affinity on the left and the right. Its drawback is it's cumbersome. So you have to spend your movement, your knight, as an additional cost to activate the weapon. It also has, and I like this, it has the text on it that says, ignore cumbersome if this weapon is activated indirectly via charge, pounce, etc. So that makes things clear for people who weren't sure how you could use like the White Lion outfit to get around the problems with the Twilight Sword, then putting the extra clarification on here is great. Um, this, it, a lot is going to depend for me on how much this weapon costs to make. Because obviously, the stat line is really good. Um, like for the early game, which is, it's a bone weapon, so we got to assume it's in the, um, the Bonesmith. It should be very powerful. It's... Uh, like I don't know what it's it's going to cost maybe multiple bones I'm okay with that so I was talking with uh, Zenith or uh, Zach Barish um, and he was saying he couldn't remember what the what the uh, cost is it is at least two something he's not sure if it's a two bone or a bone and a hide 
Um, mm. So that's what we're looking at. Something like that. I, I don't know the exact cost, but it's going to be kind of like the uh, the axe where it's, it's uh, two resources. Yeah. 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 Two resources. I'm okay. Like, if it's a bone and a hide, I'm not going to be interested in it because, like, a bone and a hide to me is a, well, rawhide. Um, and like the bone axe, I, I've been very negative about the bone axe in the past, and I still am because a bone and an organ is too much of a cost for what you get. Now, the stat-wise, they've improved this, but there's a the drawback on it. If it's too bone, I think I'm down with this. I think I think it will be something that I would want to use. So it is going to very much be dependent on the cost. Um, now, how about you guys? How are you feeling? Because yeah, look, I'm not excited about the affinities on it. Uh, from an affinity standpoint, I can't really say all that much. Uh, that's more your wheelhouse, Ben. But in terms of the actual stat line, I think it's fantastic. It's just the cumbersome really does throw a monkey wrench in there for you. And I think you might have to link this up with maybe the, the lion armor, the white lion armor, in order to make it effective, just because dealing with cumbersome is going to be a real pain in the ass on this, especially if you don't have dash on uh, your survivors. Mm. Well, you won't early on. Um, I, I was thinking, like, affinity-wise, you can line this up in rawhide to get double red unlocked very quickly, which is something that's un- um, normally difficult, because you effectively you can just put this in between the rawhide body piece and the gloves. Uh, and it will join up and give you two reds. The thing is, two reds in the early game doesn't do very much. Like, the only item that really wants two reds is the necklace. Um, and I think that requires heat to make, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, I will actually double check and confirm that. Yeah, it does, yeah. Um, so, it's going to be interesting. But cumbersome, yeah, without dash, it's going to be tough. <sighs> Slam, so it will work on... Um, the screaming armor as well but ultimately how much better is it than some of the weapons you're generally rocking by the time you have full, uh, the ability to make a full white lion set or a full screaming armor set i mean full white lion set i found takes maybe five hunts to do if you really want to do it by that time you're on the weapon crafter so i don't I mean, know it almost seems like this weapon yields itself a little bit more to a build where for lack of a better word you're the tank you're standing right in front of the uh the monster's face and he runs up to you so you don't have he runs to you you don't have to go to it uh so i feel like it's going to be the survivor that's more kind of in the line of fire and then just beating the crap out of it with the club yes exactly um i also want to make the note here that this is not uh frail it's the only bone weapon yes that's not frail the dagger is not frail either actually only the axe and the bone darts and the sword are frail Dagger isn't because I think it's too short. It's interesting that this one being so large isn't frail. That's a good point. So even though it's extra resources, it it kind of covers itself because you don't have to ever remake this. Hopefully, yeah, kind of. But like one of the things I I, I bring up quite often, and and my friend Italics brings up as well, because um, she's basically quoting me when she says it is it's it's not the fact that the frail weapons break that's the problem. It's the fact that you get less out of them. So, like, um, the good example, just to go with the bone axe, is um, an organ and a, a bone for a bone axe. Um, and hang on, I have the card right next to me. So uh, if you just give me a moment, I will remind myself what the stat line is. I think it's like two... Uh, oh, there's all these piles. I sorted it all out. I was sorting my cards out after finishing a campaign and tidying them all away today. 
Um, yeah, here we are. Uh, so a bone axe is a two, six, three weapon, um, frail, and basically uh, it has savage on it. Okay, so when you crit, you score an extra wound. You compare it to a bone blade, which is a two, six, two weapon, um, also with frail. Like you're paying a whole organ to gain one strength and gain savage, and you don't even have deadly on the bone axe to make it work. So in contrast, I could have a bone axe, which I just described. Or I could have a bone blade, and I could have a monster grease. Like, there's no, no contest here. So, if this bone club is a bone and a hide, that's a bone and a piece of rawhide armor. Unless they're going to change the costs on rawhide armor, which is going to make the early game super hard. So, that's ultimately why I'm of the position. We need to see the cost on this. If it's two bone, I think it's going to be good. But if it's not, I think it's still overcosted, and it's going to like. People are going to play with it a bit, and some people are going to love it, but most people are going to be like, it's not optimal, and go back to going bone darts, bone sword, and getting onto white line weapons as soon as possible. So, you know, I'm like half excited about this, and I don't want to be too down on it. Um, But like, the affinities are not great. The stat line is amazing, but that's basically all it's got going for it. You know, still, more variety in the early game. Getting clubs earlier is good, interesting, and it'll let you feed nicely into going like um, Bone Club to Riot Mace, for example, who only have the Gorm available. Yeah, it's going to let us that do that early specialization. Hmm. Yeah. So I like that they added this in. I'm looking forward to the model in particular because the the artwork looked amazing, but. I don't know how many of these I'm going to use or if I'm even going to use it. Um, I'll have to see what the context of all the other changes are in general. So, um, do you guys have anything more to add or shall we look at whatever this next thing is? I can't read myself. I think that's pretty good on the Bone Club. Uh, I think we're going to move on to the next thing. Let's see what that is. Oh! Oh, given the artwork, this is an ability for the um, new saviors, isn't it? Yes, it is. That is correct. It's and the new secret fighting arts for the saviors. There's two of them there, yeah, but we can't read the other one. Okay, so they get secret fighting arts instead of abilities now. Yep. So, uh, so the one that is shown here is Lucerne's Lantern. This is the blue savior card. Uh, and that is, I'll read it out loud here. You may concentrate. And so that is, if you do perform Lucerne's Lantern at the start of your next act. And then Lucerne's Lantern is you reach into the, and then it's cut off a little bit, and excise a screeching skull darker than the darkness it hurdles at the monster. So reveal hit locations equal to half your blue affinities, rounded down one at a time. The monster suffers a critical wound at any locations with critical effects, and ignore the effects of the trap card. Then reshuffle the hit location deck and gain plus six hunt experience. So that kind of gives you some insight as to how the uh, saviors are going to work now. Uh, so the only question there is, are they going to gain um, some static abilities as well? Like, uh, are they still going to have the one of what affinity themselves are they going to have a passive ability because like that was the thing that was making the saviors so broken was the blue ones were getting plus luck and the green ones were getting plus evasion and the red ones are a pile of garbage that you don't bother with because who cares about automatic hits um 
So, yeah, I mean, it's interesting, and I can see that this being, like, a nice way of doing saviors. I think, like, I'm already recommending to people that you don't bother building Hovel for as long as possible so you can get more twins. I think if this is what saviors do now, um, I don't care. Like, half your blue affinities. If I'm playing the Sunstalker expansion, that could be really powerful because of Cyclopean armor. Or if I'm gaining these abilities via the um, Lonely Tree, via the Dream of Fruit, which will still work, um, then again, there's some stuff you can do there. But uh, who knows? I guess there must be additional stuff abilities for the saviors on top of this, because we don't have any indication of when they hit retirement of them disappearing off into the dream world or anything. It's still, it's it's interesting and... I look forward to seeing the other two. Hopefully the red one is good enough to make red saviors worth um, playing with, because really they weren't. How are you guys? Are you more excited than me? I, I like the fact that it's a uh, an optional ability, if you will, so that way you don't have to age up your savior necessarily if you don't want to, but it also gives you kind of that emergency oh shit tactic of I really need to crit this monster. I need to kill this monster as soon as possible, otherwise I'm going to die and lose everyone. Uh, so it gives you a few more options in how you want to use it uh, resource-wise. I agree that that's a little on the low side, given it's plus 6 hunt XP and it's half your blue affinities rounded down. Unless they start introducing... Uh, something more along the lines of the saviors having more natural affinities. I know that's you know part of what it is now, but maybe that's going to have to do with their age uh, boxes as well. Yeah. So a couple of things to note. Um, first of all, all of the classic. Obviously, they get. They said they were going to stop saviors gaining ageless. Correct? Was that the part yeah, of the plan? Part of it. Yeah. Okay. So you want for those people who really want to make use of saviors, you'll want to remember the gloom cream. Let me just grab the card and make sure I've got it correctly. But from the Slenderman expansion, um, I have to see if it is an other because they can't equip others, can they? No, they cannot. Uh, they cannot. And as long as they've kept that, let me just check gloom cream if they managed to cover this. Oh, they did. That's fine. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, you disregard because the gloom cream has been labeled as an other. As long as they remain um, uh, unable to equip other items, then we'll be fine there. That's good. I'm glad I kept everything with me so I could check. Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, saviors for me, I generally don't use them anyway. Because uh, when I do, I find that it, they really make the game a bit too easy. Maybe these ones will have more interesting because of the optional tactical abilities. Yeah. You know, like you don't have something, you have something extra to use. And I can see this lantern ability being quite potent to just kind of dump a trap away and reshuffle. But, uh, you know, they're going to get saved for really important fights, these abilities. Still. I mean, that's what people are going to do. If you've got something like this that punishes you so hard for using it, you're not going to use it very often. Than I, you're going to use it against like something really big. I mean, it'd be amazing to do this against the um, the level three DBK. That is true. That would be a phenomenal thing to use against the DBK. Imagine going and taking uh, several blue survivors with a, a crap load of blue affinities on there, the blue saviors that is, and then running the DBK and just critting the hell out of them right in the beginning. Hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Just a note, when I was talking with Barish and them, um, it seemed a lot of these changes were more towards the... uh, I don't want to say newer players, but the the little bit more casual players. um, Yeah. To to make it a little bit easier for them and to make the game a little bit more uh, possible to win. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Well, they want to get into the gold tonight. Don't they? Uh, yeah, and uh, we'll talk about the Gold Smoke in just a second because that's the next card that we're going to take a look at. But yeah, no, it was a lot of not for the hardcore heavy min maxers that we sometimes do, but a little bit more towards that general cl- crowd of all right, we need to make yeah. this a little bit easier and and inform them of how these things kind of work a little bit better within the game. Yeah, I gotta say, I I am pleased that that is you've told me that's the direction they're going with because that's. Well, literally yesterday, I um, uh, I, I I let a little like starting guide go up on um, Board Game Geek, collected from my notes, because so many people are still talking about how they're getting wiped, like by the first butcher or the um, by the first Kingsman, and I, it's like it's a real shame because the great content in the game, the deep tactical content, is when you start fighting the level twos and the level threes, and especially the expansion monsters. So I'm very happy that they're trying to give people something a bit more accessible um, and not just have, well, it's Kingdom Death. You know, It's fantastic for, say, the final nemesis monster in each campaign to really be unbelievably brutal, because you've got there. So, like, win or lose, it's going to be an exciting story at the end. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to hear that. You know? Ah. I'm going to have two of these Gold Smoke Nights. All right, so let's talk about the Gold Smoke Night for a bit. So before we get into, they, they didn't really show off much of the Gold Smoke Night, but I got to talk to Barish a little bit, who is the monster does, uh, the monster programmer for the Gold Smoke Night. So um, he's very, very difficult. So as I said, they tried to make it more casual. I, I think, though, that this new end boss is supposed to be you really need to know what you're doing and not be a pushover well, like the enough. watcher. So, yeah. So yeah. It, the casual might get up to the end and then, and then just kind of fail there. So, so the, it's the interesting kind of how they developed that. Uh, one of the things he was joking about was one of the requirements to fight him was basically going to be, you needed a party with all oxidized, uh, beacon shields just to even like make it slightly possible. So it, very interesting of how powerful the gold smoke Knight's going to be. Is that a you have to, or that that's the power level they think he's at? That's the power level Barish kind of tried to put him at. Because I'm going to say I don't think the oxidized beacon shields are much better than the normal beacon shields. I, I mean, maybe I'm misreading what's going on there, but they they seem to be marginally better. And we'll talk about that a bit further down the line. Um, but yeah. It, we'll see. I mean, I'm happy to see that he's aiming for a very high difficulty because, to be honest, the ne- final nemesis in all three of the current campaigns is very disappointing. The the people of the stars and people of the sun and people of the lantern, all of them, you know, are not really that good. If you've been playing to fight like level three dome beetle knights and lion gods and things along the way, and I know I say that quite casually, but <laughs> you know, it, it, you can play the game to that kind of level. So, yeah, I'm happy that this is going to be very strong. I'm just, you know, I'm intrigued why he thinks the Beacon Shield, uh, you know, you you need everyone with Beacon Shields. 
that are oxidized. But yeah. That, that was his original thing, so maybe the Gold Smoke Knight does a lot of attacks, so you're blocked too. It's only good for one attack, so the deflect kind of prolongs that a little bit, so maybe that's why. I don't know. Mm. And we'll talk about the oxidized shield in a minute, because that's, that's one of the things we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. In fact, yeah. So we want to go over this hit location that they show off uh, for uh, the Gold Smoke Knight. <laughs> So you're talking about the fuming placard, right, Josh? Yeah, correct. So that is a reflex location. There is no crit on it. Uh, and it has shove zone and ram zone. So there's a ram zone, which goes six spaces uh, directly in front of the monster. Uh, and then there is the shove zone, which is uh, the blue space, which is all spaces surrounding that straight line, essentially, from the monster there. No, that's actually that's eight the spaces. little. Uh, it's eight spaces. I'm sorry, because yeah, the monster's base. Uh, so the text there actually says, "Turn to face attacker and full move forward." All survivors in the shove zone. Uh, those are the surrounding spaces from his path. Uh, are tossed aside. They suffer knockback five in the direction indicated by the arrows, and they basically point directly away. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the second set of text there is place all survivors in the ram zone. And again, that's the eight spaces directly in front of it after turning to face the attacker knocked down in front of the monster and it tramples them mercilessly. They each suffer four damage to a random hit location. Hmm. Um, yeah. Well, before I go into this, I want to take a little bit of time to just digest it. Um, how are you feeling about this, Josh? It sounds powerful, and at the same time, I, I can think of a fun way to cheat this. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's all of reach. Um, if you tack <laughs> him on a corner, he can't run straight at you, so he kind of just runs by you. That, that that's I don't know if that's the intent of that, but... <laughs> um, yeah. That, that makes it a little bit interesting. Uh, you still get knocked back, but you don't get clobbered. Mm. Yeah, it's going to depend how often he does this reflex shove and ram thing. Um, and I mean, looking at this one right now, you can actually see the um, left and right flanks, not back, but left and right flanks are uh, blank and you don't get shoved if you're there. So this could result in, once people get used to it, if the rest of his attack um, reactions are like this, with the same rule that people do with the white line, which is never stand in front of a white line. Attack it from the sides, attack it from behind. So we'll have to see. I imagine he's got like a variety of different reflexes. Maybe there's one where he swings his hammer in an arc or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, this is like genuinely interesting and I can see this catching a lot of people off guard the first time they do it because people are still prone to fighting monsters by being in front of them. Um, do note that he does turn to face the attacker, so it doesn't quite matter where you're at because he's going to turn to face you and then run forward. Yeah. So then you're going to want... Look, if you're going to trigger this... Well, you can't credit to cancel it. That's fine. Oh, Katars and Reach, and just having, like, one person who can take um, the trample damage... Um, by positioning themselves to make sure it turns and uh, hits the blank zones. Yeah. Uh, I still think you're going to be flank fighting him a lot if this is the kind of stuff he does. But you just put somebody into bait or somebody to reach. Because there's no point being shoved back five. 
I wonder how fast he's going to move. Otherwise, he's going to have quite a few turns where he may not be reaching people. I would assume by this he has eight movement, just by the graph, but... Yeah. Well, that's assuming that that's his uh, base movement when, you know, running around. This is, he's actively shoving and ramming people out of the way, so that might be a slower than normal movement for him. But the full text says full move forward, so I'm assuming that's his full Mm -hmm. movement. Very accurate, well said. Yep. So we can assume that the Gold Smoke Knight has eight movement. That's that's a good assumption there. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. All right. Well, to be honest, based on this, I hope that they're underselling what the Gold Smoke Knight can do because that doesn't scare me. Um, that seems quite mild. I mean, let's face it, that's a reflex. What uh, what the guitars do? They cancel reflexes, so we'll have to see what the rest of his kit is. But I imagine it's going to be something special. At least he's very unique, and that's great. All right, so is there anything else you guys want to say about uh, the Gold Smoke Knight and specifically this hit location card before we move forward? Uh, uh, nothing except I'm looking forward to having a go at him because I've got an entire settlement that's killed a watcher, and I've got two sets of green armor waiting for this guy. So good luck, mate. You're going to need it. So Fen is ready to beat the crap out of the Gold Smoke Knight. I might not use that um, settlement. It's a little bit broken. Um, Looping is a silly thing to do. I'm probably going to play from the beginning and experience everything that way. Experience all the changes. But I might play with the Green Knight expansion while I'm doing it. You know. (laughs) We'll see. It's it's exciting, and I love the model so much. He looks so great. Base and everything's fantastic. I'm genuinely excited that we have something after the Watcher. Because the ending of um, People of the Lantern was so disappointing. And now we know it is not the end, just another step in the journey. Yes, exactly. All right, so the next card that we have to show off here, talk about, discuss, is Destiny. And that's a faith card, it says here. Uh, And what is that? It gives you a survival limit plus one. And the settlement's future is unavoidable. All survivors gain the endure survival action. So you heard that right. We're going to have another survival action that the survivors are going to have to use. And the text for endure here is endure. You may spend seven survival minus your luck to ignore a severe injury result before you roll. So you can spend seven minus your luck to just say, no, I am not taking that severe injury. Hmm. It's big. It's a huge effect ignoring a severe injury. Except when you remember that Drydacanthus does the same thing. But we do have the issue of having one less item slot for a gear slot for every character um, post. So this will help. Ultimately, though, like how many survivors have extra luck? I mean, there's not a lot of opportunities to gain luck in this game. So generally, that's a very expensive ability. I would like to note that uh, at the convention, uh, it was uh, explained to us that your luck tokens will count towards this as well. So that is something to make a note of. Okay, I would say that they really should have worded luck. They should have worded luck plus. I mean, a gear I get because the lucky charm just says plus one luck, but luck tokens. uh, Well, hopefully the rules indicate that. So okay. I don't know how you gain luck tokens, so there's not many ways to do it. Uh, Flower Knight, you just don't take severe injuries. That's that's how it's going to work. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, that makes sense. To do that. So one thing to point out with this is it would be really interesting from a uh, gear build standpoint and to maybe include this with a survivor that has rawhide armor and some other way to gain survival back, such as uh, what were some of the fighting arts? Thrillseeker, Abyssal Status um, are the two off the top of my head. Sorry, what was that? Thrillseeker and Abyssal Status. Yeah. Sorry, what, what's happened into them? Survival? No, to regain survival. Matt's talking okay. about a build to regain yeah. survival. Oh, okay, the build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Abyssal Sadis is fairly easy to get on someone as well. Yeah. Uh. But uh, a decently high luck survivor with uh, some Ooh. survival regeneration is going to be really awesome with this indoor build, with this indoor survival action, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, you want to remember as well uh, that um, sunspot darts give plus one survival to everyone adjacent to the monster when they hit. So that's um, potentially, and you've got three of those, so you could use those to regain survival as well, spread across the entire group. So yeah, there. Uh, I was looking at those. Like each each sunspot um, dart, like set gear card, is potentially twelve survival spread across your group. So multiples of those. That's from the Sunstalker expansion. There's going to be plenty to do with this. Uh, it is interesting. And thematically, it's interesting as well. This kind of suggests that maybe now, no longer is it like, oh, the settlements are absolutely doomed. Maybe it's more like they are going to be struggling. And, you know, they says the settlement's future is unavoidable. But uh, this settlement, this ability is kind of surviving. I don't know. Um, funny I note, don't know. It's it's an interesting ability. A uh, funny note is if you do get negative luck, it's going to increase the cost of this. True. Very true. Okay. Um, Josh, would you like to do the honors on this next one, please? Because uh, you had a bit more information about um, the thinking behind this and how this indomitable trait is going to be used and everything. All right, so next up is Indomitable. It's a new trait. This is going to be attached to all level three monsters. Um, and how it is, is whenever the monster t- attacks or is attacked, it stands at the end of that <clears> attack. <throat> um, so the monster will not stand if a survivor is attacking a minion or another monster. Um, if a survivor attacks during another survivor's attack, the knockdown monster will stand at the end of the new attack. So this is to prevent for us just knocking down a level three monster, just beating it up and going at that. Also prevents if the monster has an AI card that knocks itself on its turn, if it draws a second AI card that turn, it's still going to stand back up and do that action. Uh, so they're not quite as weak and feeble as the level ones and twos. Okay. Um, I'm going to dig my head in the rule book for a moment. Um, and I'd love for you guys to give your thoughts on this before I uh, go off on what might some people call a little bit of a rant. Sounds good to me. So from my perspective here, I think it's fairly interesting to uh, add this to all level three monsters. I know a big part of not necessarily their current campaign, but some of our previous ones was going at a monster with a weapon master uh Grand weapon, knocking it down, and then having everyone else wail on it. 
uh, and then, you know, dispatching it of it relatively easily because you can get those easy hits in and ignore reactions. So this is going to make it a little bit more difficult to deal with monsters that have nasty reactions when they are at level three. Uh, I'm sure Fen is going to find something to poke a hole in with this, though. So, uh, Josh, you want to share your opinion on this? Yeah, I, I think the goal is just to make level three just a little bit nastier. I know Fen's probably going to rant about how level threes might need some other tweaks, but I, I think it was supposed to be just something simple enough that they could apply to all the monsters um, without doing a lot of rework on everything. Okay. Are you still digging, or did you, did you find what you're looking for? I then? found what I'm looking for. Okay, so, first of all, I understand the thinking behind this, and I agree with it, the attempt to try and make level 3 monsters more epic, more difficult. The thing is, um, first of all, knockdown strategies versus level 3 monsters is is very small, like very focused kind of thing, and there's only two items that do it, really, with any regularity. The first one being grand weapons. Fine. Grand weapons, you know, very powerful, and you can knock down and go with a speed attacker to try and rip into it. Sure, that's one way. The other is the pulse lantern from the Gorm. Um, but that isn't stopped by this because you use the Pulse Lantern during the monster's attack after it's drawn its AI card and knock it down. Um, so that's you know not going to work there anyway because Pulse Lantern is used defensively. Um, so I understand and appreciate that they're trying to cut off one particular aspect. They're kind of missing what people are doing to beat level threes, which is stacking evasion, stacking luck, stacking deadly, um, and using um, clever positioning and things like that to try and deal with the level threes. I mean, like, it wouldn't even... I, I thought um, in Lantern Year 23 of our People of the Stars campaign, we fought a Sunstalker, okay? We killed it in three turns, and that's because we delayed to go and get some salt. We didn't knock it down. We didn't do anything fancy or clever. We just literally tore it to pieces because of having higher evasion, having block, and having high-strength characters that would just rip into it. So, like, and, and we all, actually, we were like, oh, is that it? Because we were thinking a level 3 Sunstalker was going to be really kind of, like, you know, quite epic. And it was just, if we, it was no harder to kill than a level 1 or a level 2 had been. Um, so I don't think they're targeting all of the issues that monsters have. I genuinely think the monsters need a lot more accuracy at high levels. Um, because that's the biggest problem, and a lot more luck tokens. I, I don't. I think those need to be more prevalent on level three monsters to make them genuinely challenging and force us to do other things. Obviously, if you stack too much accuracy and too much luck, then it can become very frustrating to play against them. Um, and also, it's a kind of still a numbers game because the survivor with like evasion, sorry, like evasion twenty, um, and you might be like evasion twenty. That sounds like a lot. Um, We've nearly got to 20 on Invasion on a Survivor um, with, by playing. So, you know, anyway, it becomes kind of a stat race. But the other problem I have is this. Okay, so, Josh, let me make sure my understanding is correct. If So I attack a monster with my Survivor um, while it's knocked down. Now, it's going to stand up at the end of that attack, correct? So far, yes, correct. Yeah, okay. If somebody... Um, then uses, say I hit it and I cause a wound and the monster ha uh, monster can't react, okay? So there's no reaction, so there's no opportunity for it to act. But if I cause a critical wound, 
that will create a survivor action uh, opportunity where somebody else can surge and attack. Yeah. Correct. So now this. So they're now surging in the middle of my attack, and their attack needs to be resolved first. Correct. Correct. So now, what well, if they score a critical hit during that? Then somebody else has a survival opportunity to um, surge and attack again. So now the monster will stand until the end of the third attack. Correct. So. Correct. So essentially what we've got is the ability to go first attack, score several wounds. Oh, we've had a survival opportunity on the second wound location and there's only one left. So or or even on the last one. And and the second person goes, OK, well, now I'll attack and they get their three plus to hit and they get all of their attacks in on the three plus. And if they manage a critical hit, then they create a survival opportunity for the third person to do the same, potentially even the fourth. So it's a little more complicated and difficult, but effectively that's what we were doing anyway with the knockdowns is dogpiling on. Now instead we just have to do it via surge. So it hasn't, it's just made the, the whole thing more convoluted. You can still knock down, shred a monster. You just need to stack critical hits um, and, use your surges correctly and aim to set it up. And I, you know, that's like, uh, that's why I think it's not targeting things correctly because this feels very complicated and convoluted, creating a, effectively a react, a surge train to to kill the monster. Um, I definitely see your, uh, your point in that. And I think that maybe something to almost clear that up would be if, Instead of this indomitable trait, if it prevented uh, you to surge in between another survivor's attack, specifically for the level three monsters or something to that effect, where it would kind of eliminate that ability to railroad those uh, surge opportunities. I think maybe indomitable. I, I would have just liked it to be monsters cannot be knocked down. Monsters reactions cannot be canceled. Boom. OK, so or even mon- a monsters reactions cannot be canceled at all. And then this includes if a monster's knocked down. That solves the problem. It's a lot more elegant and simple. You're always going to have to deal with a monster standing up if it gets a reaction and doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's what that's what my version of Indomitable would have been, is monster reactions cannot be cancelled. Um, and then would have the text for the, the stand-up on knockdown, etc. So I wish, <laughs> I wish I had a chance to have... have like said, hey, no, how about doing this instead? Because that would make a level three challenging. It would also solve the problem of Katars, because Katars, my God, they um, they shred monsters like crazy, you know, like especially digging claws. So yeah, that's that's where I stand on it. I think it's a nice idea, but I don't think it's targeting the problem correctly. And I hope I make sense. Here we are. I wasn't quite as ranty as I thought it was going to be. I think you address your point very well there. Yeah. So, Josh, is there anything else you want to say about Indomitable? Uh, No. Uh, Just to make note, we're going to skip down a little bit before we get to the next image. uh, And let's look at the exhausted Lantern Horde. Okay. All right. Sorry for the delay. I think I have that open now. Yep. All right. So the exhausted Lantern Horde is what comes out after, you know, you defeat the Watcher. And it has the text here. It's slightly cut off. A dead guardian. The sleeping predator is gone without its protection. Uh, intelligent monsters draw near. You may only hunt level three plus monsters. All departed survivors must have one gear with the lantern keyword in their gear grid. 
the settlement has the final lantern, one survivor must depart with it in their gear grid. So th- these are the changes to Post-Watcher so far. Uh, there's also some, looks like some things you can unlock, some story events, and there's the new survivor lantern that you can unlock. And there's also an investigate option on the bottom, but you can't really see what that is. Yep. Although it looks like maybe on a one to two, you die unless you have legendary lungs. Just a hazard, I guess. Yeah, from what that is indeed what it looks like. Yep. Um, okay, well, I think the most interesting thing about this is um, it's gear with a lantern keyword in their gear grid. That's not just the final lantern and the survivor's lantern. There are other lantern gear in the game. Uh, let me just double check. For example, the pulse lantern hey, from the Gorm and the sunspot lantern from the uh, sunstalker. So, and both of those are very potent, useful pieces of kit themselves. Oh, you also have the manhunter's um, lantern? So, manhunter reverberating lantern, correct? Um, and the, I think there's a lantern you get in people if you play with the Allison Twilight Knight expansion, um, promo as well. Yeah, the, get the blue, blue lantern. lantern there. And there's also the, all the I promo lanterns has, you could add. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some people I'm sure will, um, come up with house rules and things to, to get those lanterns wedged in to their campaigns because that's what people like to do. Which is fair enough. Uh, yep. I was just checking that the blue lantern is does have um, the lantern keyword. I'm pretty sure that is the case. Uh, uh, where is? There we are. Campaign specific pile. Blue lantern is a lantern as well. Yeah. So there's multiple. You don't just have to take these um, survivors' lanterns. You can actually have useful, um, beneficial items when you take out. Ultimately. I prefer this over the current um, exhaustive lantern hall. This is far more interesting and exciting and fun, and it was going to be great to have a go in what it's like. I think the interesting part is you have to fight level three plus monsters till you hit the the gold smoke knight. So that might change some people's strategy of fighting the watcher in year twenty, as that means you have to do four additional fights against level threes, depending on how on your playstyle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is good that uh, that it does kind of force people to think a bit more and not just jump the watcher as soon as possible. Okay, um, I think also on that image we can see that the organ grinder has a new item called the stone noses with no extra information about it. Yep, there is the stone noses, so we'll find out what that is hopefully soon. Um, and then they have the bone club on the uh, bonesmith. Um, so yep, that's... as expected. So... Yeah, the stone noses will be an interesting item. And the, yep, the claw head arrow is showing an affinity on it as well. That it is. It's got a, a, a right blue affinity, which means it will combine with a luck charm to um, improve archers. Right blue is one of the more rare ones, isn't it? it it's very rare. The, yeah, Wisdom Potion has a right blue. Most of them have a left blue or lucky charm as a left and right blue. So yeah, right, right blue is quite a hard to get affinity, along with the down blue is quite rare. So and that... Rib Blade has a right blue, which is what... So will this Sorry, arrow be used rib... by you more, possibly? By me? Uh, well, any um, item that has an affinity on it and has a one-shot ability, I always find a bit more useful. Like, Reverberating Lantern doesn't do anything 
um, outside of the bonuses in the hunt. And the hunt bonuses are amazing. But the reason it's so good is because it has those affinities that will help you on a build. Like, so you can tweak it into somebody's grid to get benefits elsewhere. Um, ultimately, I think the Clawhead Arrow is, was really good anyway. Um, it's just like, normally I never had room to get it built because it's a Lion Claw and my first Lion Claw is a Qatar. My second Lion Claw is a King Spear. My third Lion Claw is a Qatar. So it's like the fourth Lion Claw I might make a Clawhead Arrow with. Um, still, you know, Clawhead Arrows are good. So, yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm happy to see any item that doesn't have affinities pick up some affinity, especially if it's got limited use. And a rare one at that. Yeah, very rare one. It's good. All right, you guys want to start talking about the uh, the lanterns now, the final lantern? Yeah, yeah, sure. So the final lantern is kind of what I was talking about before. You know, it's like uh, itself doesn't do anything in the fight. It's got a left blue affinity and an up green affinity. It is a final lantern item other. So it doesn't have the lantern keyword. Hang on a minute. Is that intentional? Um, I'm going to look at the exhausted lantern order again. All departure survivors must have one gear with the lantern keyword in their gear grid. And one person has to depart with the final lantern if you have it. So, somebody so does has that to, mean they somebody have, has they to carry, carry Yes, yeah, somebody has to carry two lanterns because the final lantern is not a lantern. I think that. That doesn't seem very... Oh, dear. I, I feel like that has to be a typo. That has to be a missing keyword. I mean, maybe it's intentional, and I guess, like, we need... <laughs> Somebody tweet to Kingdom Death and ask them. Quick. I would like to point out that when we were doing uh, the demo at Gen Con, my survivor had the final lantern, I believe, yep. and I did not have an additional lantern in my gear grid. Oh, you were cheating again. I mean, don't blame me. That's the way it was set up. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what you always say. Um, I, I think maybe this is just a case of a missing keyword, um, <laughs> which is not the first time we've had a missing keyword going on. So. Fair enough. But, yeah, I'm pretty uh, sure this is a right. keyword. Uh, yeah, all right, let's 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 get back to it. So it's an item other and probably a lantern. Uh, it has a keyword vital, um, which I guess links to the fact that it has to be brought along. And on arrival, all survivors gain the Horripilitation Survivor Status Guard, um, which is to do with the Watcher's AI deck. And when you're not insane, you flip this card. Um, did you get to see what was on the back of it? Uh, no, this was printed on no, the... Was... Uh... Oh, okay. Yeah, so... it was printed right to the Survivor uh, gear grid. Oh, right. Okay. So the Horripilation uh, Survivor status is the final lantern's frenetic flight causes bilious anxiety. While its energy brightens your lantern, the hairs on your body bristle. Once per round, if you have the death die, you may use one of the settlement's pulse discoveries. I see the lantern research story event... Um, and they're like, uh, level one is gain, uh, attack, add an attack roll to an attack. Level two, add plus one d10 movement to a move action. Level three, add one d10 strength to a wound attempt. And I, uh, you know, there may be more. I, or is there more? We, we do know for a fact there is a fourth one, but they would, they did not reveal what it is, I believe. Or no, there is also a movement one, I believe, where you can add that d10 to your base movement speed. That's two. Level two has movement. Ah, okay. So, yes, uh, I 
I believe he they it was said that there was a fourth level, but it was not revealed to us. Am I wrong there, Josh? That's correct. There's a fourth level that they did not show off. Okay. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, and so this seems to upgrade via the Lantern Research Pulse Discoveries um, story event that is on the Exhausted Lantern Horde. Uh, however you do that. Uh, okay, well, it's uh, the Death Die replaces the Monster AI, doesn't it? Uh, the Yeah, the Monster Controller. Yeah, this Monster Controller, yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting. I don't know how much more to say about it. Um Apart from the fact that it has a classic Poots typo or a mission, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, but um, I like the way it looks, and I like the idea of um, of gaining this ability, which suggests maybe that horror appellation is part of the Watcher fight now as well. Could possibly maybe. That would make sense because you need to have the uh, final lantern in order to have the horripilation card. Yeah, exactly. But uh, maybe like the Watcher itself, well, obviously the final lantern is going to be built out of the Watcher or from the Watcher's lantern hold or something like that. Maybe the final lantern turns up then. I don't know. We're kind of like off into speculation territory. Um, all I can say is mechanically it's solid. Uh, no, all this stuff is you can roll it after you do it, so you can make your normal attack be like, oh, I'm going to add an extra attack to that, or I did my strength check, uh, I need some more strength, so I'm going to roll that with it. Mm-hmm. So it, it's you don't have yeah. to choose beforehand. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I find it interesting, and as long as it is a lantern, which it should be, then, you know, cool, cool. It's going to be fun. Maybe people are going to even feel a bit, like, sad that they can only spend, say, nine lantern years with this final lantern you know who knows uh i don't have anything really more to say with about it at this point except i think it's uh it's nice to see there being some change in the way that the game is played um towards the end it makes it feel a bit things a bit more epic i would like to point out that this did happen to us during our demo at Gen Con, but if you receive the death die and you are dead, obviously you can't gain the benefits. It doesn't skip you either. Uh, so, again, if someone is dead, it basically the death die gets wasted on them that turn. Mm-hmm. Same as the monster AI insanity game. Yeah. Monster controller insanity game. A uh, fun side rule that uh, Zenith came up with that that is not in the rules was if you roll it off the table, your survivor dies. That was uh, that all out in the rule book. <laughs> that would cause people to be using a lot more dice towers. Um, do we want to move on to the survivor's lantern? Yeah, let's move on to survivor. So, so Fen, you can talk about this a little bit more because you're you you're all about the affinities, and that's that's what this is. Uh, I <laughs> I'm surprised people think that. Like affinities is always the last thing I deal with with my builds. Um, and then I start wedging an item in for it. But first of all, I, I was looking at the Exhausted Lantern Horde. These Survivor's Lanterns seem to just be, you can have as many as you like, for as far as I can tell. It just says Survivor's Lantern, Final Lantern required. There's no numbers involved. There's no resources to do it. So I, I guess, effectively, they're just picked up out of the Lantern Horde. Um, it is a Survivor's Lantern. It's an item. It's a lantern. So this one can be equipped by Saviors. Ooh. Um, 
And as you can see, it's got the lantern keyword, so things are working there. It has a left red affinity, a right green affinity, and a down blue affinity. These affinities are basically the most common affinity you can possibly have for each of the different categories. Like, most of the blue affinities are down. Most of the green ones um, tend to be right. Um, as you'll see, like, when you dig through... Um, various different things, although Monster Grease is interesting because it's a left one. Uh, but yeah, most are right, and most uh, red affinities point to the left, um, which is very typically you can see on all of the starting weapons, um, the bone weapons, they all have like a left-facing red affinity, um, I think, except, yeah, including the daggers, the daggers of a left and an up. So this is a very generic piece of kit, and but it is nice that it's something here... For players who've not managed to build, say, um, other lanterns along the way, it's just, you know, it sits in your grid and gives you a few affinities. It's it's okay. Yeah. Um, so essentially, this is not a first choice piece of hardware. This is your emergency backup lantern for after you kill the watcher. Yeah, yeah this is. I'm not playing with the Gorm expansion. I'm not playing with the Sunstalker expansion. I need a lantern. Ah, uh, this will do. Yeah. This is the. This is like the fourth tier friend that you uh, you call when you're in an emergency and normally you wouldn't bother them at all. Yeah. All right. So let's let's move on to the next thing. So this is a change to uh, lantern armor. They changed the yep. uh, the set bonus. So I believe the old set bonus was you ignore overwhelming darkness and uh, all the um yeah and all the clubs in your gear grade gain sharp right. Uh, good question. I do have it right here, and if you give me just a moment, I will read off the original one. Um, okay. Uh, yeah, you feel invincible, skip your role on the overwhelming darkness story event, and yes, all clubs in your gear grid game sharp. Yep. So, uh, basically this is... Are they changing things to do with overwhelming darkness? That's the question. So, from what I was told, and this might just be uh, the new song of the brave uh, that uh, um, overall there's a innovation that kind of does what lantern armor does. I'm assuming it's song of the brave where you just do path to courage, and you can remove a minus one token, so you're pretty much okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would like to point out the actual text on the card here. It still retains the all cl- clubs in your gear grid gain sharp. Uh, but the You Feel Invincible is now on arrival, gain survival up to the survival limit. Yes. So at the start of the showdown, your survival is going to go up to whatever your settlement max is. Yep, which works very well with the Endure action, because you should probably have like uh, at least 9 or 10 survival for your settlement. So you'll generally, if you're wearing Lantern Armor, get one activation of Endure um, if you need it. Um which is good because lantern armor is super expensive and difficult to make. It's a pain in the butt. Like I would prefer to make green armor over lantern armor most of the time, which I know saying a lot. But yeah, uh, all clubs in your gear grid game sharp is like that's always been the part of the lantern armor that I'd be most interested in. The biggest problem I've ever had is the best clubs are, you know, like there's the skull. Um, is it the skull mace and, and the weapon crafter? Uh, a skull hammer. Yeah, that's like one of the few decent core weapon clubs. And you tend to have to go into the expansions to find clubs that are worthwhile. 
Like the riot mace is amazing. The gloom hammer is incredible. Uh, so, eh, I, I don't know. Like it's it's fine as things go. It's not the most exciting thing that's happening to lantern armor. Um, not even close. But I guess this, this is to take into account the changes to Song of the Brave, and I'm okay with that. Like this is sort of a non-change in some ways. You know, they've kept things that matter. All right, so the next thing we have is uh, the other change to Lantern Armor itself, which is on the headgear. So, Fen, did you see what the change is here? Um, I see the change for Oxidized Lantern Helm. Ah, yes. Yeah, these are are all Oxidized gear now. I did not realize that. So I'm not 100% sure how this was interpreted in... um, The show was the normal Lantern Helm is the same. It might not have the same armor amount, but death is optional. Yeah. Um, so, so what? So they made death optional for the non-oxidized lantern helm. I or, believe because it's so. always been optional anyway. Has it? I thought it was you are. Yeah, because. Well, okay. So the original lantern helm is a five armor piece, uh, armor set, metal heavy. It has a downward-facing blue affinity and a blue puzzle piece affinity that gives you earplugs, makes you deaf and minus one accuracy. That's why I'm saying it's optional, because you don't have to combine it on there. You can put something else with a downward-facing blue to complete your lantern cuirass and get the benefit from it, which is the body piece. The body piece has like four puzzle pieces it needs to work. So traditionally you put the lantern gear in a cross formation on your grid. Um, with Lantern Helm at the top, Curious in the middle, Gauntless on the right, uh, Mail on the left, and the Greaves on the bottom. Um, so I, I've, I've always been like, well, it's nice to have the earplugs and be deaf sometimes uh, at the cost of minus one accuracy. However, the oxidized version is you, six armor. Let's you turn your ears on and off too. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the oxidized version is six armor, it's armor set and metal, so it's not heavy anymore, which is important to note because, as you guys uh, uh, have experienced, Cracks of Doom is a, a Cracks in the Ground, or Cracks of Doom, as I tend to call it, is a pile of shit. Everybody hates it. You're not wrong there. Yeah, terrible card. Um, so it's become lighter by being oxidized. It's an outfit, which is a key word we heard about a while ago, which means it's part of a set. Uh, in this case, obviously, it's got outfits, so it can be part of the lantern set. Um, when you don't have a full oxidized set combined. That's what I'm speculating. It still has the downward-facing blue, but the affinity ability has changed to puzzle blue plus red. If you are not deaf, you may more, you may ignore effects that target non-deaf survivors. So that's why you're saying now the earplugs are optional in and out, in and out. So the oxidized lantern helm has the ability of making you deaf, but you can switch it on and off during a showdown as opposed to having to have it permanently switched off if you want to be able to hear. So it's definitely an improvement. It's not like I expected to see more armor points because one of the things I felt is that you don't get given enough armor points in the late game. Uh, and that's why players play the way they do of cheesing things with evasion and block and other things because the armor's not good enough to allow uh, to withstand hits normally. Um, it does bode well for the whole lantern set, though. It should be interesting to see what it all looks like. Um, this is a, a decent thing, and um, 
I'm very glad I've got like a full spare sprue of lantern survivors sitting around waiting to be painted up because I'm looking forward to painting some of them as oxidized. I wonder if uh, the uh, oxidized set's going to have its own armor set card bonus set. It would be really nice if it did, but I think it'd be very important for it to keep the leverage sharp ability from the club, in my opinion. Still, um, oxidizing is one of the things I think is most exciting about 1.5, and it's going to be unique to people of the Lantern as well, which is very cool. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so moving along, do you want to move on to the oxidized Lantern Glaive? Oh, yes. So... And for those people who are my Patreons, I can't remember if they're already aware of this or not. I've called the Lantern Glaive itself, the normal one, one of the best weapons in the game, despite it having early iron. Now, um, the original uh, Lantern Glaive, I will get the... Um, I really should... Yeah, the stats for that. Um, which The original Lantern Glaive is a two-speed, six-plus accuracy, four-strength weapon with reach two, and sharp, which has 1d10 strength to it when you attack. It is a weapon melee, spear, and an axe, two-handed finesse metal weapon. And its drawback is it has early iron, which is if you roll any ones on any of your attack dice, you cancel all the hits and you have to end the attack. Early iron is a horrible ability. This a two-speed weapon has a 19% chance of missing every time you attack with it. And it gets even worse. A three-speed weapon has a 28% chance of missing. So... Early iron, terrible with speed, just just awful, awful. Um, and um, that the lantern glaive was still so good and so powerful that I was like, it doesn't matter that this thing has early iron on it; it has a nineteen percent chance of missing. It's just a phenomenal weapon. Um, the main way we got around this is we'd use the rainbow wing belt from the Dung Beetle Knight expansion that gives you rerolls when you roll ones. So that was how we got the lantern glaive online and working. The new one, the oxidized one is a two-speed, five-plus, six-strength, sharp, reach-two weapon. Uh, it's still a weapon melee, spear, axe, two-handed finesse, metal weapon, but it doesn't have early iron anymore, so you don't have to worry about that. Any, You don't have the 90% chance of your attack being cancelled. It's just a solid, amazing late-game weapon. It also has inherited the Greater Gax ability, which is Puzzle Green, because it has a downward-facing green um, affinity, and a red. On a perfect hit, the egg sharpens, and the weapon gains plus four strength for this attack. To be honest, that ability, who cares? If you get it active, brilliant. It's a small bonus for rolling a perfect hit. This weapon has a minimum of six plus two plus one strength. So a minimum strength of eight, nine, and it can be up to like six plus ten plus ten for 26. So it doesn't really need the plus four strength, but it's a nice bonus. This has taken a top-tier weapon and made it even more top-tier. Super excited about it. It's great. Yeah, just going from the stats, this really does beef up the original Lantern Glaive. You're getting plus one additional accuracy, plus two base strength, and you're removing the one uh, pitfall that it had and giving it uh, a small, albeit... uh, beneficial bump in the uh, linked ability there that it's stealing from the Greater Gax. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that oxidized lantern glaze. Perfect hit ability. The Greater Gax ability is perfectly fine. It allows you to use the Greater Gax in the late game if you've got Timeless Eye. So yeah, 
I, I'm all for this. The Lantern Glaive is fantastic, and this is a part of the update that's exciting. And I thought it would be. Yeah, this is an exciting weapon, and I can't wait to uh, try and shoot for this in one of our future campaigns. Mainly because, also, we haven't gotten around to much of the lantern armor and lantern weapons. Uh, and especially the fact that spears are so damn good in the game as well, yeah. that this this just kind of hits every note for an awesome weapon. Yep. Yeah. so... My, what you want to do if you can manage it is first play with a spear master, get them to mastery, okay? So you've got spear mastery as the innovation in the settlement, and then work on an axe master. And if you get an axe master with a lantern glaive, then you've got an axe master who's also got the spear specialization ability, which is the best part of the spear weapon. It's ridiculous. Like, I had one versus the level three dung beetle knight. You cripple the damn thing because every time you critically hit, every, sorry, every time you hit a location that has a permanent injury, you automatically wound with an axe master. And you don't care about the trap because you are um, set up to, uh, with a spear that gives you a chance of cancelling it. It was absurd. I had a cyclopean lantern glaived axe master with spear specialization on top of having fist and tooth and shield specialization, which you just work on anyway. And it was just like the easiest level three dung beetle knight fight we've ever had. So I, I really like the combo awesome. weapons of two different mm-hmm. types. I, I wish there's more. Me of them. too. There is one in the Spidicules expansion, which we'll be talking about in our next episode or the episode after that. But we'll be talking about it during Spidicules. So yeah, I love these these hybrid weapons with two extra things. It's fun, it's interesting, and it's nice extra flexibility. It's cool. So yeah, big thumbs up for the Lantern Glaive. Um, it's a huge improvement. And we shall go on to the Oxidized Lantern Sword next. Um, so, Matt, would you like to read us out the original Lantern Sword and then the updated version of the stats? I, I don't have the original one in front of me. It's... If you could read that one. I have the Oxidized, though. Oh, okay, you haven't opened the picture. All right, fine. So the original Lantern Sword is a um, weapon melee sword finesse metal. It's three speed, five plus accuracy, three strength. It's got a left-facing red affinity. It is sharp, and it has early iron. So everything I talked about with the Lantern Glaive applies to the Lantern Sword, except that the Lantern Sword misses like 27% of the time. It's a terrible weapon. However, oxidized, it's something very different. Like to Tell us now. So again, the Oxidized has uh, 3 speed, 5 plus accuracy, 5 strength, uh, retains sharp. However, it gets rid of the early iron uh, deficiency there, so that's a huge plus. You're getting rid of the, I believe you said, 27% mischance uh, on that weapon. I think and, someone said that. And then uh, you're adding the Deflect 1 ability. So this is something a little new here, and Deflect is... Spend uh, a surge, you now have exactly, or spend an action rather, you have exactly one deflect token. The next time, uh, the next one time you are hit, ignore that hit and lose the deflect token. So you might think that, oh, this is the same thing as block. Uh, Deflect, however, is a token that you get instead where it stays on your uh, character, whereas block kind of just goes away and dissipates at the end of your turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So deflect is kind of a slightly upgraded version of block. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
So I'm going to run into my thoughts and then I'd love to hear what Josh has to think um, and say about this. Uh, so first of all, it gains two strength, which is like big whoop. But it's nice. doesn't really matter. It loses early iron. That's massive because early iron makes a lantern sword garbage. But an oxidized one, no early iron. This is not the best sword in the game. It's not even close to the best sword in the game, which is the black sword or Griswoldo, depending on how you feel. But um, it is a definitely a very effective weapon. Although it's a swords are kind of a shitty weapon type. It's not middle tier, like not amazing. Um, but deflect, like I like the deflectability. I think it's nice. It is kind of like an upgraded block. It is useful. You can kind of set it up. The thing is, often when do you need the utility on the deflect one? This is deflect one is almost block one. Deflect two, which we'll talk about in a bit, different matter. Deflect two. He's a bit more powerful, but Fleck one, eh. My issue is there's two weapons already in the game that have block one on them, and that's the Blast Sword from the Dragon King expansion and the Juggernaut Blade from the killing the level three Dung Beetle Knight or calcifying a regenerating blade, which you get by breaking the the Dung Beetle Knight sword and then sticking it in the ground for a few. Those weapons with block one on them, you just don't care. You don't use block one. Like I really reached very hard to try and be like, yes, a weapon with block one on it. But I'm like, I would prefer to have a shield every time. I'd rather have a shield. So, you know, like, can you have an oxidized lantern sword and an oxidized beacon shield and activate both of them and have three deflect tokens? If you can, there's a reason to have deflect. If you can't, then where are you going to be wielding just a lantern sword and not having a shield? I would like to point out the text on deflect and it says you now have exactly one deflect token so it sounds like they do not allow for a stacking of deflect tokens then you you have answered and basically like this is of only any use to somebody who is a sword master and doesn't have room on their grid for a shield that's kind of rare Remember that your gear grids are going to be eaten up late game by lanterns as well, possibly. Mm. Yeah, but like you always have a. Uh, well, I build eight slot gears most of the time, and my ninth is always like some random utility item. So I'm okay on that front. I, I, I mean, deflect one of the sword is a benefit. Yeah, you know, but it's just like I found over time, block one has been less of a benefit than I thought it would be because it's because shields give like block and they give an extra armor to all locations and they allow you to ignore being uh, ignore monster collisions like if you have a shield master so the interesting thing to bring up here is uh, possibly stacking your blocks from your shield with a deflect from the sword or blocks from a sword with deflects from a shield yes exactly so there you a good point there may be something interesting to do there by having block and deflect on the same character um but Deflect will always trigger first because it says the next time you're hit, ignore that hit and lose one deflect token. So we're going to have to find out how, because block, I think, does the same thing. Um, I do have the rule book open and I can zip down directly to block. Uh, uh, so I'm going to make a note here while you're looking for that. So one yep. thing I'm thinking here is it would have been nice if it was like the uh, Mammoth 2 shield where you got the free deflect if you made an attack with it. That would have been amazing. Uh, but I'm yes. thinking for the couple situations where you can't attack the monster or like first round you throw up the deflect 
you now have that token on for you for five, six rounds maybe till you get attacked. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of have that yeah. one free. So, so it's more of a sparring use kind of thing. Be like, oh, begin a showdown. I don't want to dash at the monster. I can't reach him. So I'm going to put my deflect token. I have that. That's there for the next till I get attacked, which might be three, four turns from now. And then I could spend that and yeah. and do it. So so I think it's it, it's a lot more versatile than the block, just because you can you can hoard it kind yeah. of. So just be like, oh, this. Right. Yeah, that's an interesting idea there, Josh. The uh, the ability to use the, the deflect on there when you basically have no other option for what you're doing, so you're just not sitting there and twiddling your thumbs. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt that like deflect is better than block. Like that's uh, having a block that doesn't fade away is just genuinely better. Um, I was just reading block itself, and block's wording is spend activation to ignore the ignore, ignore X hits the next time you're attacked, last until your next attack. A survivor may not use block more than once per attack. So oh, you can stack it with deflect, but the question is uh, how, how that works out. Like Which fires first, essentially. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Which fires first, or do they both fire at the same time? And you ignore the same hit twice. If block triggers first, I think that would be much more beneficial from the player's standpoint. Absolutely. Um, And that's something that we're going to have to find out is if there's anything to cover. Because these are both going to be in the core book, block and deflect. So hopefully we'll have something, or at least we'll get a Faku answer saying what happens if you deflect and block. Because people are going to do it. Okay. Okay. do we ha- oh, we have the beacon shield to look at, don't yeah. we? And yeah, let's talk about the shield next. It, it, what else do we have apart from the beacon shield? Um, there's like one minor little thing, uh, and then there was a slight preview of the advanced rule book. Okay, all right. So, okay, so we'll talk a bit about the beacon shield, and then um, you guys can rock through the, the it's, it's the special showdown change, isn't it? And the Philosophy of Death, is that right? Yep. Yeah? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay, so let's first of all go with the original Beacon Shield. Um, I could do the original... Hello? Sorry about that. I have that open now if you want me to take that, Fen. Okay. Uh, Well, yeah, sure. Go ahead. So the original Beacon Shield here is a one speed, six plus accuracy, five strength weapon. It is a weapon, melee, shield, metal, heavy, adds two armor to all hit locations, and it gives you the block two ability. So again, that's spend an activation to ignore two hits the next time you are attacked. Lasts until your next act. And you cannot use block more than once per attack. Uh, however, then we have the oxidized beacon shield. So do you have that open, Fenner? Do you want me to say that too? Oh, the oxidized one. Yeah, I got it right here. Okay, so the oxidized weapon shield is um, oxidized beacon shield. Sorry, is a weapon melee shield metal heavy, so it's still heavy. It's a one six plus six weapon. Uh, adds two armor to all locations, and it has deflect two instead of block two. So basically, the changes there is plus one strength and deflect two instead of block two. Um, we did discuss a little bit already about deflect. Uh, we can talk about the opposite here, which is the oxidized beacon shield will be interesting with uh, combined with a block one weapon like um, so this is obviously very powerful in many ways um, the next two times you hit ignore hit and lose one deflect token now the big question there is how many monsters um, are 
going to only manage to be hitting you once. If you're evasion stacking, deflect is going to be very, very powerful and more efficient than block two, deflect two. So it is obviously an improvement. Um, I'm just, uh, I guess I'm, it, it depends how much it costs to oxidize or if it costs anything to oxidize. Very true. Uh, my kind of concern here, thought process is it's interesting to see how the rest of the gear all essentially lost its heavy designation as it became oxidized, except the beacon shield. And I wonder if that was done specifically for a reason. Um, it was done to make sure that people who wear full oxidized and lantern armor sets with a beacon shield fall down the cracks in the ground. Very true. I, I get, I get what you're saying there, Fen. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know. There may be a law reason for it. Um, it may be an oversight. It may be a decision for balance purposes. Uh, it is an interesting thing. I did note when I read the traits off that it was still heavy. You know, I did notice that. Uh, I mean, I don't know what more myself to say about that other than um, it's obviously better than a beacon shield and we just need to find out what it costs to oxidize one. Ultimately, beacon shields are expensive as heck to build anyway. They are so damn expensive that normally I only build um, maybe two of them in a campaign and then I promptly t- turn them into Fetasauruses because I like Fetasaurus. Uh, let's have a look at the price. Yep, the price for a beacon shield is two iron, three leather, and four bone. It's like the only other things that come close to that expense are the Dragon Slayer and the Perfect Slayer. Yeah, that is an extremely high cost there. And then, so how do you feel about the only real difference being the change from block to deflect and then plus whole, one whole whopping strength? Well, the important thing for me is the plus one strength because I was finding that five strength on my beacon shield wasn't cutting it. So having six means I can now train my shield in Lantern Year 21 a bit more effectively than I could manage before, you know. Ultimately, you know, this is like... This is the least of the changes on oxidized things, but I would, I'm not surprised because the beacon shield was so good, they couldn't really upgrade it too much anyway. So, yeah. Uh, it's fine. Depends on what it costs, as I said. All right. Josh, anything from you on the beacon shield? I think you guys covered everything. So there's only one little small thing they showed off that is a 1.5 change. Is they have a uh, timeline card. Oh. Um, and all it really is, it, it labels everything really nicely of how the timeline works and adds in a couple steps that were missing before. So it has the special showdown. It has when you're supposed to be checking milestones and all that stuff. Anything you see on there, Fen, that's to, to note? No, not, not really. I mean, it's really good that they're giving this so people know exactly what happens in what order and how special showdowns kick in. And, you know, it says after the showdown, heal the survivors, remove their tokens, and return to the update death count step. So it's very clear for people to understand how things go and how things go when there are multiple special showdowns as well. So, yeah, you know, everything else seems like normal and it's good. Yeah, it's just a clean, nice little reminder that will help things um, and eventually be use of it. All right, so that's all the 1.5 stuff. There is one little new thing for, it looks like, the advanced rulebook, which is the Philosophy of Death, um, which is the Survivalism card. So yeah. you guys pull that up? So no idea how this works or how this gets triggered, but it looks like there is six different, or, yeah, six different, kind of like age, I'm assuming, where you roll on this. 
uh, and you get some plus stats or fighting art or disorder. Um, and it's not random on here. It actually says, like, you get this disorder, this fighting art. Um, but it has a lot of plus yeah. stack, uh, stats in here. And it goes a little bit into it looks like a, a story. So, like, when you get to this third yeah. one, there's the wise one, and then it talks about if you have one or not. Yeah. Well, it seems like multiple characters... The survivalism... First of all, we've got this zero in the top with this person, so that appears to be some kind of indicator of maybe a requirement or something along those lines. Um, and then, yeah, we've got these these numbers across here, across the top of each category. It's a very complicated looking card. Like, this is an awful lot going on, and I hope this is not going to be a small-sized card. I imagine this will be one of the, maybe, settlement event-sized cards. Yeah, this you know, looks like this looks like it'll be a settlement size. I, I'm pretty sure this is a full-size rulebook page. So, and yeah. I, I'm assuming this is the card size it's going to be. Yeah. Um... It's just, it seems interesting, like, are you roll, these look like dice roll diamonds on, on top of each of the categories, so, like, you got the one there with the flag, which I guess is rank one, and then it seems like, you know, maybe you roll a dice on a one, you gain this, on a two, you gain this, on a six, or a ten, you gain these, and maybe in between, you don't get anything, because considering as well, like, if you look on the tens, like, plus one move, plus one luck, um, and, like, yeah, plus one luck again. It's really big, beefy bonuses. So who knows? Um, it's interesting how like you get to the third stage and there's this, is there a wise one? And if there is, you gain the selfless philosophy. Um, and self, if someone has symposium, you advance a rank in your new philosophy. And if you don't, then, then somebody becomes the wise one. So it seems like survivalism philosophy then leads into the selfless philosophy. Um, and then, yeah, obviously, uh, if you reach rank seven, the settlement is your kingdom. The survivors, your pawns, maybe the the best things the survivors to use them. Remove all your disorders, gain ten insanity in the Shadow King secret fighting art. In addition, gain one green affinity. So, it looks like there's going to be some interesting um, way of advancing and moving forward. And perhaps even the survivalism is going to compete against the selflessism. Uh, philosophy in some way who knows it's it looks exciting and i think like i, I looking at this i think the advanced rules are going to be something that people get very like pick and choose about um which may be their intent in the first place so um i, I i'm excited and interested to see what's going on but without the full information this is a very complicated image that really teases stuff without telling us too much except the kind of things you can get that there's a meat shield fighting art for example yeah it's it's just a nice little tease and it looks exciting to have that extra complicated layer to the game like a game of death is somewhat complicated in itself already but once you understand it it's it's not too bad and have that extra layer be like all right these are some extra things you can do yeah yeah, absolutely. So, all right. So, is there anything else you all want to touch on from what we saw at Gen Con about the 1.5 updates to King of Death? Uh, I just want to make a quick note. Uh, talking to Barish uh, and both Barish and Adam, uh, they did rewrite all the hunt events. 
Um, and what it sounds okay. like is they put a lot more lore with the expansions into those hunt events. Because before they didn't oh, have all those expansions good. planned, so there wasn't really mm-hmm. any lore yet. So now that they've gone back with all those expansions there, uh, there's like going to be a lot more world building with those hunt events, hopefully. So that that's going to be really fun so to kind see. of yeah. So that's kind of like the way they tied the flower knight and the dung beetle knight together because the dung beetle's ball turns up in the flower knight story. That's good. I like that. So I thought you might like that little bit of information, Fen. Um, yeah, that's cool. And then there was the one spoiler that uh, uh, the gambler, the big ball he's holding, is a fruit. So do with what you want. Um, it's apparently a bigger deal than just random fact. Uh, okay. I'm much a little disappointed it's a fruit. I prefer it to be a ball of people. But maybe it'll be both. I mean, the lonely trees fruit are made out of people, so, you know, that's interesting. That's cool. Yeah. All right. That's that's everything, though, isn't it? That's that's all from, the, from Gen Con? I believe from Gen Con. that is everything that we saw with all our time there. No extra surprises? No. None that we can share on the air. None that you can share on the air. That's a nice poem. Thank you. That's That's made my evening, that has. You always do make my evening, Matt. You know that's that's what I'm hoping for, really. Yeah, yeah. Nowhere else can I laugh so hard at someone. You mean with someone, right? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> with. Gotcha. Okay, so thank you all for joining us this evening. This was our Great Game Hunters podcast, where, again, we talk about the ins and outs of various strategy points of Kingdom Death. This was our Gen Con wrap-up on the 1.5 updates. Please join us for our future broadcast of Great Game Hunters, where we will be talking about what exactly? Ridiculous. And we also have one other little announcement to make. Um, All the podcasts, after this one, all the ones going forward, they're going to be early released on Fen's Patreon. For a week, Hello. and then it's going to be released like it normally is. So instead of a week after we do the live one, it's going to go to Fens, and then two weeks is going to go to ours. And I'll put a link to Fens' uh, Patreon in this description, so you make sure you check it out um, and help support Fen because uh, of all the cool KDM stuff he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I spend a fair amount of time working on articles these days, and a recent amount of time painting. And uh, the stuff that you produce is absolutely phenomenal, huh? Yeah. You 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 you're trying to really trying to make that joke work. You've been you've been pushing it for ages now, haven't you? Someone will laugh someday. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> it won't be a sympathy laugh. It'll be a genuine one. I can only dream. A man can dream. Yeah. So, Finn, do you want to audibly plug your stuff uh, before we sign off here? Yeah, well, uh, as said, um, you can catch me at my Patreon, which is, and it has changed from previously, www.patreon, that's spelt with an E, dot com forward slash Finn Paints. Um, I do have a Twitch channel, although I'm not streaming at the moment because of technical difficulties, and that is also uh, twitch.com forward slash Finn Paints. I have an Instagram, which is also Instagram.com forward slash Fenpaints. And I have a Discord, which the link to it is located in the social media section of my Patreon and can be found on my Twitch page. Um, and people there who are Patreons get a special extra role um, with their own channel and 
you can catch me directly to talk about commissions or other lits and pieces. You know, like uh, at the moment, I'm sorting out getting one of the Twilight Knights from uh, across the Summer in the States because all of them got sent to the UK, which makes a change. We got all of one of the promos instead of America having them all. So, yeah, there we are. That's where my stuff is. All right. Thank you, Fen. And we are Twist Gaming. Please follow us on all of our social media. That's the Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram. And then we have our Discord channel. In case you haven't had enough of us, you can come in and stop by and chat with us whenever your heart desires. Except for you, Matt. You're so busy. You're not there most of the time. You know, I, I caroused it today for a bit, but uh, I will work on being a little bit more active within the Discord. I know Josh is there all the time. Yeah, Josh cares. Jo- Josh cares or Josh has no life. It's one or the other. You know, I was, I was doing the polite thing there. You expect me to be polite? No, no, not even a little. It's fine. <laughs> not even a little. I'm not that bad. I'm just messing with you. So, gentlemen, is there anything else that you want to say before we we do our real sign-off now? Nope, I'm good. Thank you very much. Spidiculous next time. Okay, thank you all for joining us. This is Twist Gaming and Fen signing off. I am Matt. I'm Josh. I'm Fen. Bye. (laughs) Bye, everyone.